All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you are having a fantastic morning, noon, or night, wherever you guys are in the world. You're in the right place, guys. This is the Crypto 101 podcast. Crypto's global, baby. So no matter where you are, crypto's for you. It's for everyone. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't even know what's going on outside of freedom for all. And so we're here joined by a very special guest, Douglas Borthwick from INX. He's the chief business officer. We're going to bring him on the show in just a second and introduce him. But first, uh, your guys' favorite co-host, Aaron Pizzamine Malone, calling in from Columbia today. What's up, Aaron? Just to further your point of crypto being a worldwide freedom movement, I've traveled all the way to South America to see for myself I'm at a sold out Cosmoverse right now with people from at least 10 different countries that I've met so far, all flying from as far as Singapore, where there's another huge event going on right now that so many other people are flying across the world to see. And it is just amazing to feel the energy and to listen to the conversations around me, not complaining about the bad things in the world, but inspired voices building many of the next good things in the world. Yeah. And, and, and even there, it's like so many people ask me, well, Bryce, what if the American government does something to uh, to knock crypto down? You see all these Senate bills and all these discussions going on in Congress about crypto. And I just say, hey, crypto's like a hydra. If you cut off one head, there's going to be seven heads that grow in its place. And the America, <laughs> the America, the United States would be at a, uh, a huge disadvantage if they decided to regulate all of crypto out of existence because that wouldn't stop it, okay? And so that's kind of a tangent. I don't really even know if our conversation with Douglas is gonna touch on any of this today, but we're gonna go ahead and bring Douglas on the show. We're gonna get his opinions. We're gonna get his thoughts on the market and what he's building at INX. So Douglas, welcome to Crypto 101 Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm actually, uh, I'm in New York today, but I was in Canada yesterday just to throw on the, the global <laughs> back and forth. I think probably it took me though 12 hours to get from Canada to New York. So I think it was a faster flight if I'd gone to Columbia. Jeez, man, <laughs> that that's a tough, that's a tough travel. Cause you're like, oh, I could probably just get a taxi at this point and make it quicker. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So well, Douglas, yeah, it's, it's our pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Um, I know you guys got a lot going on over at INX, so we're not going to keep you for too long, but we do want to hear your story uh, Douglas, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be a chief business officer of uh, a tremendous crypto uh, company. Uh, sure. Uh, I'm from Scotland. I uh, came over here when I was ah. 16 years old and I uh, did university over here, business school. 
did 10 years at Morgan Stanley uh, in FX derivatives, and I ran a proprietary trading group at Merrill Lynch. Ran Don't America. let me forget to ask you then about the Great British Pound, but carry oh, on. <laughs> I'd love to talk about that one. Um, and uh, I, I, I ran a prop group at uh, Merrill Lynch and Latin America trading for Standard Chartered. Then I went to a company called TPI Cap, the largest interdealer broker. Uh, when I was there, I heard about someone in uh, Israel that had uh, seen ICOs in 2017 and said, look, these are illegal, but I love the way they're raising money with a website. Um, and he went to the SEC and said, I want to do the, exactly the same type of thing, but I want to do it with a full registered security. So you know, a prospectus offering like you would buy Amazon and IPO. And uh, I heard about this and I knocked on his door in Israel and I said, look, I got to be a part of this business um, because to me, it's sort of like a Wikipedia moment in that you're creating a whole new asset class under regulation, uh, but something like a security that would trade 24 7, 365, in my mind, is that's what the world wants. Guy in Japan doesn't want to trade in the New York time zone. He wants to trade in his time zone. Now, a woman over in Africa might want to trade in her time zone as well. And right now, capital markets are very, very US uh, intensive. But also, you know, I like the idea of payments, you know, having a security that you could buy uh, using crypto. Um, and and you know, it, it means it speeds up the process. Um, so a lot of things about this made sense to me. And I joined the team. Uh, we ended up getting this uh, through the SEC, being declared effective. And we went out there, opened up a website, and we said, this is our vision. We want to create a global digital investment bank. We want to be able to mint tokens, raise capital for companies, and give these offerings and offer them out to investors around the world, retail institutions, uh, you know, rich folks too. Uh, but they can trade crypto on one platform, see new investment opportunities on one platform, and trade securities on one platform. And we've done it. You know, we, we've done that. We, when we opened the door with this vision, we ended up raising uh, $85 million from 7,250 people in 74 countries. Wow. Average age was 42 years old, which skews to the older side than I was expecting. Uh, we also then did a reverse, and then we didn't sell equity in our company. We sold 40% of the profits in our company in the future if we have them. Um, and then we also did a reverse takeover of a shell in Canada for our equity and raised another uh, $39 million, uh, Canadian this time, and uh, now have a public company in the US, public company in Canada, and one platform where you can trade cryptocurrency, public securities, private securities, uh, and go back and forth between the two, but also see you know very cool uh, ideas and companies that people are raising capital for, and you can buy a security token in them and then uh, trade it on a secondary market. So that's a lot of stuff that we're working on and we've, and we've done. Uh, now it's about execution and distribution. Yeah, there's a lot of meat on the bones here. And we could we could go in a million different directions. But I, I want to highlight for our listeners uh, some, some of the affiliates, uh, basically people who have invested in the project and people who are advisors. I mean, guys like Samson Mao, who's been on our show several times. Uh, former CSO of Blockstream. Now he's doing his own thing. Charlie Lee, founder of Litecoin. Ricardo Spagni, founder of Monero. Jameson Law, Picasso dude. Uh, we, and then so that's all on the crypto side. But on the traditional side, you guys are not shorthanded by any means. You had Tom Lewis, ex-CEO of Ameritrade. We got Nick Thadney, who's the CEO, uh, the, the former CEO of the Toronto Stock Exchange, I believe, Yep. And David Weald, who's the ex-vice chair of NASDAQ. So are these guys all like, you know, you're talking to them every day and you guys are strategizing and, and how'd you kind of land, you know, some heavy hitters in the crypto market and the traditional market? I mean, that just sounds like a recipe for success. You know, our, our founder and CEO, Shai Datika, you know, he had this idea, this vision that, that the future is going to be digital securities. Um, I think that that's an idea that resonated with a lot of us that were in the traditional financial uh, side. Certainly that's where I was. And I think it resonated with a lot of folks that were founders of different, uh, you know, different types of coins, like Charlie Lee and Ricardo, in that you know, there is going to be uh, regulation in this space and you can embrace it, or, you can, or certainly you could invest in it um, and uh, see where it goes. And I think that our, our view certainly was that you can take the Facebook model, which is run fast, break things, and then fix it. But when it comes to financial markets in the US that are heavily regulated, you can't have that model. And a lot of crypto companies, you know, when we went to the SEC and said, we want to do a prospectus, that's when Binance did a $15 million ICO. And they raised money at the same time we went to the SEC. Now, they're tremendously successful. 
tremendously. But are they regulated in the same manner or have the moves they've made to get to that success? Have they been in a regulated manner or regulated way? Um, I think some people would argue no. Um, you know, an unregulated ICO these days, the SEC is coming down and knocking on people's doors and saying, look, you did an unregulated ICO. I think Telegram's a good example. You get to return the funds. I think they had to return $1.2 billion. Yeah. It's happening you, yeah, all across the board. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if, if your ICO was three years ago, four years ago, or five years ago, you know, the SEC doesn't give up. And one day they knock on your door. And so we're talking to a lot of projects now that have done ICOs in the past or raised capital in the past. And now they're saying, well, how do we switch this into being a security? Or we talk to other projects that say, well, I'm not going to even go down this. It's a utility token route, but I've got a law firm that says that it's actually not a security. Instead, I'm just going to make it a security just like you guys. And so we're helping all of these folks find ways to make sure that they fit into this new world and the new world's regulated. It's not unregulated. It's not the Wild West anymore. The, the, uh, the cavalry's shown up. And uh, so you have to be very aware of making sure you follow the rules. And we've set up the right platform, I believe, to help folks do that. We've been sitting through this bear market now for just over 200 days, wondering what's going to come along as a catalyst to try and turn things around. And I'm of the opinion that there's not a whole lot else out there that's really going to be newsworthy enough to make it happen because we've already seen huge things like BlackRock investing in Coinbase. We've seen NASDAQ saying they're going to open up their own uh, tools and nothing's happened. But in my opinion, I think U.S. regulation is that keystone to the next bridge to the promised land that we're all just kind of waiting for. What are the rumblings you're hearing behind the scenes in terms of at least getting some kind of clarification on the rules in the U.S.? You know, when rules come in, there's probably going to be 10% of the folks that are in these markets today that say, these rules aren't for me, I'm moving offshore. But as they move offshore, you have large institutional players moving in. And you talk about BlackRock, you know, State Street's talked about what they're doing in digital markets, BNY Mellon. The largest players in the institutional space are getting in in these places, are getting into to the blockchain, are getting into crypto. They're just not noisy about it. You know, they don't tweet about it 8,000 times and have you know, crypto Twitter going crazy about it. They just, <laughs> they just execute on it quietly and, uh, and, 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 and go about their business. Um, it's my view that regulation is coming in. It's, and it's already here. Uh, we just haven't admitted it yet, I think, a lot of folks. And you're going to start seeing equities move on to the blockchain, fixed income move on to the blockchain, all because there's regulatory paths. When we did our IPO on the blockchain, no one had ever done it before. And it took us 950 days, cost $3.5 million. It was expensive. But we knew by setting up a pathway, a prospectus that you can copy and paste for the next guy, that it opens up the door now for a lot of companies to go public in this way or to raise capital in this way. And I think as pathways are built, people will feel more comfortable about moving down that regulatory pathway. Remember, if you call up a lawyer today and you say, I want to do something in crypto, they'll probably suggest an ICO because that's what they're used to. That's all the pathways they see. That's the They can say, well, we've done 300 companies in this way, so we can help you. If you ask a law firm, have you ever done an IPO on the blockchain? There's only one law firm in the world, MWE, that can say they did. And generally, lawyers will advise based upon what they've seen. And companies and CFOs will do something based upon how comfortable they feel, based on how many people have already done it before them. Yeah, I mean, so you guys are really pioneers of this whole entire movement, meaning you guys did the manifest destiny. I mean, you guys crossed the Mississippi and uh, while nobody was willing to do it. And, but I guess my question to you is, um, you know, can, is there now a playbook for companies who are already public, who already have billions of dollars of market cap to kind of retroactively issue some of their shares on the blockchain, maybe through the INX platform, maybe in, in some capacity like that? Yeah. Um, you know, when you wanted to create to cross the Pacific Northwest, it's, it's probably a good idea to work with Lewis and Clark because they had the map, right? Exactly. And now we're finding companies come to us because we have the map. Um, we wrote it. No one else has done it. Um, on the back of that, we're talking to companies that are in the U.S. and outside the United States that want to take some of their shares that are trading in the open market. Um, essentially, uh, they, they lock those shares down and then they issue a digital security that will then trade on our platform. Now, that means it'll be trading 24 7, 365. How great That's would cool. it be to trade an oil stock on the weekend? 
Because you know, right now there's 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 no way to trade oil, which is the most traded asset in the world. There's no way to trade it on the weekend. So if, you know, if something happens in Saudi Arabia on a Friday, Friday night, everyone says, "Oh, we'll wait until Monday morning to get out of it." But the market isn't going to be like that. Crypto trades twenty four seven three six five. Currencies still only trade during the week, but a lot of stuff happens on the weekend. And I think you're going to find more and more assets move onto the blockchain so that they can be traded twenty four seven three six five. But also, it means moving outside of the regular banking system. Mm-hmm. You know, if you send a check into an exchange, a wire transfer, and it goes through a bank, it takes three business days for you to get sort of that money shown up. I next figured out that you know we could have someone send over crypto, and then we can switch that into dollars in about ten minutes. So. Now you can actually trade from your on a Saturday night in Japan. You can come into the INX platform and start trading, and not worry about using the regular banking system. The rails that the you know the block that the blockchain provides makes incredible advances in terms of speed and in terms of accessibility. Yeah, it's it's truly what I like to refer to uh, as money at the speed of life, because. Life doesn't end on the freaking weekends. I mean, that's when life really starts to kick into high gear. But I'm like, I always thought it was so funny. I mean, you know, myself as a millennial, like, you know, how does the bank close on the weekends? That never made sense to me because everything else, you know, in the, you know, online and digital, you could still do. And so it's such a clear trend that, you know, money and trading and assets and the flow of capital is going to be unlocked, right? Like- this, is, this is the Amazon generation. You can buy a pair yes. of sneakers and have it delivered tomorrow. Bingo. If you buy equity, you can't get it for, if you bought it on a Saturday, you won't get it for four days delivery. It's right? ridiculous. You gotta wait till the weekend comes. You can't even buy it. You gotta wait till Monday. It's the one thing that there's a huge market for it, but you can't, but, but you're so limited in, in how you can access it. Yeah. And you can order your sneakers on Amazon 24, 7, 365, and it'll get delivered the next day. But for stocks and financial markets, you got to wait nine nine in the morning until four thirty at night. It's a disaster. It's it's funny and like if I think about like where the 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 hiccup is in that, I guess it's just that you know a lot of this stuff is manually cleared, I guess, and so they you know people you know stop working on the weekend, so therefore they can't do the clearing and settlement. But if you have a blockchain which does that clearing and settling automatically. Um, it'll kind of all get done. And so I guess, you know, one, one of the, like, I guess, nuanced questions I have is, well, nobody trades on the weekends currently because it's not working. So who will come onto the INX platform if there's no liquidity? And so is there kind of like a little chicken and the egg problem where you have to find market makers to make markets on the weekends? Or will people just say, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to just fire off into low liquidity environments. News happens over weekends, whether we like it or not. And so people move towards something where there is weekend trading. Now, you're right. Nobody trades on weekends today. Why? Because, well, no one has that option. Now, we trade on weekends. Yesterday, I think we did just shy of $100,000 in volume. Now, that's not a lot, but that's just in my token, my stock, my, 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 my digital security. That's just on that. Now, on the OTC markets, there's 13,500 companies that trade OTC, and maybe they, they, they trade $15,000 a day in volume. So that's a large volume number for a small market cap uh, token, and that's only one token. Wait until I've got 100 tokens. You'll find that people trade things on the weekends, just like you, know, you go online on the weekends or you, you go to the shops on the weekends. Over the weekend, people read things. And they read research, they read reports, they catch up on their news events from the week. And they want. They say, you know what, maybe I'd like to buy this. Do they wait until Monday morning to buy it or they just go in and buy it? And I think that when you, you know the patience that you have. You're sitting in front of the television, you're scrolling through Twitter, you see something interesting, you click on it, you download it, you buy it. And right now there's a mentality of maybe I'll read something and don't worry, I'll, in a couple of days I'll remember to buy it. You won't remember in a couple of days. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But the instant availability to buy something uh, once you've read about it or seen it, I think is going to be popular with people. But it's not just that. Our weekend is different from the weekend in Japan. The weekend in Japan are, ends a lot faster than ours. New Zealand comes in, you know, in, in our early afternoon on a Sunday, whereas we think still think we got the rest of Sunday until Sunday night. So right now, the weekend is sort of an American phenomenon. In Israel, Sunday is a working day. 
okay, so now we just have Saturday around the world, maybe that people aren't trading. But even Saturday, half of that, New Zealand doesn't have that. They've got, you know, they, they start earlier. So the weekend is a, is, a, is a concept that goes back, you know, to maybe the 17th or 18th century, but I don't think it's really modern today. And we're all working all the time, whether we admit to it or not. Nine to five is such an old concept. But when you ask why, why are markets open from nine to five? Well, it's probably because, you know, at the New York Stock Exchange, the guy had to come in on a horse and cart from New Jersey, read his morning paper or her morning paper, trade, and then get home in time for dinner. And uh, the, the news came out in the morning and the news came out in the evening and that's it. And so people traded around the news, but now news is 24-7, 365. It doesn't stop on the weekends. And so why should markets? Exactly. And also, why should markets be governed by laws that were written in the same time frame when people were <laughs> driving their horse to work? So well, I well, hope that laws, we get some, some laws, updates. Some of these laws that folks are saying you know, they're, they don't make sense do make sense. You know, the law of doing KYC, AML, and someone that buys a security. I think that the majority of the population, not maybe a crypto population, but the majority of the population in the United States feels more comfortable in dealing with a platform that has some sort of regulation. The concept of being bankless is great in a bull market. But then when you get rug pulled, you turn around and say, why aren't the regulators helping me out? Why aren't they bailing me out? Um, so regulation does have a point. And the SEC's job, is remember, is to protect the retail investor. And so if the retail investor is protected in some way, then that's super. Now, if you're not a retail investor, you want to go offshore as offshore as you want, and you want to play by different rules without protections, that's fine. But I think that there is a place for some things. And a lot of guys have said that there is no regulation for a public security on the blockchain. It's just not true. I'm sitting here as living proof. I've got something that with an $88 million market cap that trades 24-7-365. It's got 9,300 holders of the tokens. And they're all holding these tokens in their MetaMask wallet or in their electronic wallet that can hold an ERC token. And it's trading all the time. And it's got more liquidity than if it was trading over in the OTC or if it was trading on the TSXV in Canada or the NEO in Canada. You know, we've got liquidity. We've got investors from all around the world and they trade it in their time zone. And these Let me are ask you about that. Actually, I have, yeah, I have one question too. It might be the same one that you were going to go with, but like people, like these are restricted tokens that like, no. you, so you could send them to anybody? No, you can't send them to anyone. It's not restricted in terms of retail can buy and sell it all day long. But in order to, to have it sent to you, you have to whitelist your wallet. And when you okay, that's wallet, what I thought. Your KYC and AML. You know, just okay. like you can't take your Nike share. Well, actually you could. You could take Nike shares in paper form. You could hand them to your friend. But with a digital security, you can't do that. So it's right. actually tighter. It's a tighter mechanism than exists <laughs> today. But it also means if someone loses their wallet, and we hear this all the time, right? The stories of I lost my Bitcoin. You can't lose a digital security on, let's say, the ERC-1404 standard. Because if you lost your wallet, I'll revoke from the lost wallet and reissue it to a new one. That's a nice level of security for someone if they're investing a million, a couple of million bucks, or even $5,000. Good recourse. Lost, right? The other one is, though, you worry about someone hacking your wallet. And I don't think the SEC kind of thinks about this and say, you know, you can't get your 401k hacked out of your wallet. That's a fair point. But what it does is it looks, if, if someone hacks your wallet and says, I want to move these tokens from your wallet to my wallet, the token looks to the blockchain and says, hold on, is the other wallet I'm moving to whitelisted? And if it's not, it refuses to move. So it's sort of like you create a security where the, 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 the smart contract protects the security and protects your security. And I think that that's you know, remarkable. It's something that we came up with with TokenSoft. I don't know if you ever had Mason on your phone from TokenSoft and, uh, and the SECs were going through the process because you know, I, I, think, I don't think they wanted, they didn't want people to lose their IRA or their 401k in a boating accident. And I think that's a fair point. So you know, we've developed technologies to protect people. And that's phenomenal. So you mentioned that you know a, a retail guy can get their hands on stuff like this after going through KYC. So is that all it takes in order to become a client of INX, just go through the KYC process? Or is there more credentials or licenses that may be required? Well, not licenses, but um, you know, if someone wants to trade on INX and it's just crypto, then it's it's the same as if you were onboarding anywhere else. You know, it's uh, what's your driver's license or your passport and proof of address. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, if you want to, let's say, trade or buy something in a primary offering where we've got an opportunity for you to invest in, and maybe it's in the United States, it's only for accredited investors. You're going to have to prove that you're an accredited investor. But for if it's a reg S outside the US, again, it just comes down to, you know, are you a, uh, are, are, do you have a passport? Do you have a proof of address? Now, there may be some questions that ask, you know, are you comfortable in trading risk assets? There's a number of questions that you have to ask if you're a broker dealer, and they have to answer them. Um, but I'd say that the steps are not egregious. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like if you open up an account at E-Trade and you want to look at stocks or invest in something that are IPOs, it's exactly the same process. We're registered in the same way. We're a broker dealer or a transfer agent and we're an ATS. Love it. Um, now, tell me a little bit about some of the recent developments, maybe partnerships, any big milestones that INX has uh, kind of reached that you guys are excited about? Well, you know, well, first, in the last year, we've gone public in the U.S., we've gone public in Canada, we've done a cross-listing on the OTC, we've raised over $130 million. So that's not wow. bad. Bravo. Up, thank you. <laughs> we picked up uh, 42, maybe 43 uh, MT licenses in the U.S. Uh, for different states and territories. We money bought, transfer, right? Money yeah. transfer. So it allows us to do crypto trading in these states. Uh, we've... Um, we have gotten a, 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 we bought a broker dealer, an ATS and a transfer agent and integrated all three of them. So we can do nose to tail in, in the terms of printing tokens, uh, distributing tokens, KYC, AML, secondary trading of these and, and capital raising. Um, and at first, when we, when we, we started this, there were two separate platforms because it's different uh, regulators. So different states regulate uh, crypto. Every single state, you have to go to and ask permission to to sell crypto in, in that state through a money transmitter license. And then for securities, that's, that runs up to the SEC and FINRA. And what we managed to do is we took these two platforms that were separate entities up until about three weeks ago, and we've just put them together. Now And so now it's called INX1. Now, what's really cool here is that I don't know if you've ever heard Secretary Glenn, uh, Gensler from the SEC uh, over the last couple of chairmen, sorry, Gensler. But all he's been talking about is I want crypto companies to you know talk to the SEC and to work with the SEC. The Wall Street Journal last Thursday put out a piece and said that INX is the only one, the only platform in the United States that's actually doing this. And I think that that's a great thing to hear. You know, we've we prefer to work with the regulator in the passenger seat rather than the rearview mirror. And what we've managed to do is have someone trade crypto, trade securities, buy into security offerings all on one platform uh, and, and keep it open 24-7-365. And no one's been able to do this up until this point or has cared to do it. I think that Coinbase or FTX or Binance could certainly have done it this way, uh, but they, they choose, uh, you know, I guess, to look at the regulator in the rearview mirror rather than in the passenger seat. Mm. That's an interesting um, kind of juxtaposition. I like that. I, I haven't heard that one before. But um, now tell us what's next, kind of like you know, thinking about it as the chief business officer, there's there's so many just different things to do, I imagine. What's kind of top priority? Is it getting people on the platform? Is it getting other companies to issue shares here? Is it finding some level of integration with a, a different uh, liquidity provider? What, what's next for you, Douglas? Man, I could have written these questions for you because these are good ones. <laughs> I've got I've got a shiny new store. And in my store, I've got a lot of shelves and I've got to start putting things on the shelves and everything I put on the shelf attracts someone else. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be announcing we're raising capital for a very famous actress and a very famous uh, uh, director um, for, uh, for, for entertainment stuff. Now, they'll bring their own people. 
that'll come to us and say, I want to buy this. And we'll introduce them to the different products on our, in, on our, um, on our site. And every issuer that we raise capital for brings people that are excited about what they're doing. And they start you know, joining our community and the community grows and grows. Um, so that's you know, one way of attracting people as the audience is by attracting token issuers. And we've been working on a very large pipeline of issuers that are coming to us saying, this is what I want to do. Now, that's guys that are coming sort of and they want to become a native token. But there's also U.S. listed companies. U.S. listed companies that with the, with the uh, permission of the issuer, we figured out a pathway that they can take their equity, they can freeze some of that equity, and then they can have a digital security trading on our platform. And we figured out that pathway, and we're going to be announcing things shortly uh, on how we're going to be doing that. And then there's the universe of all stocks outside the United States. And I'd say that we figured out something there as well. So what I'd like to be is sort of in the next six months to nine months, have a couple of hundred listings on our platform that are made up of public companies in Europe and elsewhere, public uh, companies in the United States that are now have a digital uh, equivalent that, that's trading on our platform, but also brand new companies, both private and public companies that we can allow people to trade and, and, and invest in uh, for the first time in the IPO or, the, or the, the private offering, all on our platform. And so all under a regulated umbrella and none of it ever closing. That's so exciting. I want to pick your brain in just a different direction real quick before we get back to all the amazing things you're building at INX. And that's just the state of the economy in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, From your educated lenses, you know, is this a special situation that we really need to pay more attention to? Or is this just a lot of normal market cycle stuff with the boom and bust and recovery that has been going on for hundreds of years? And we just kind of need to sit back and let nature take its course. (laughs) Um, well, if only nature could take its course, but unfortunately, the governments have to get involved, and that's where the meddling starts mucking things up. I've been a currency trader since 1996, and dollar strength is a disaster for emerging markets. It's a disaster because they have significant amounts of dollar debt, and now that dollar debt's costing them 20, 30 percent more to service, right? They still have to pay interest payments on this in dollars. So the dollar is very, very expensive. You're seeing huge devaluations across the board, even for Western countries. I mean, we talked about sterling earlier. Sterling's about to go through parity. I always had in my head, whenever I see something, a piece of property or something in the UK I want, I multiply it by 1.4. Now I just multiply it by one. <laughs> and so, you know, you're, you're at this point now where the dollar is worth more than a euro. It's, it's, it's it, the dollar. It's upside strength, down now. Dollar strength upside down. And, and something has to pop. Mm-hmm. And that pop, is this just start. temporary though? Well, you know, the last time you saw inflation like this around the world, you had Arab Spring and you have people on the streets and they start getting very, very upset. Now you saw in Italy elections last night and now it's moved to the right from the left. And so what you see normally is people say, you know what, we're going to take a different tack when it comes to government because the government that's in place right now isn't working. Now in the UK, you just had a different change as well. And now they've really moved conservative as opposed to, I'd say they're probably midline uh, up until this this, this past uh, election of, uh, of trust. So I think you're going to find governments around the world moving to the right. And you're going to have midterms here in the US, and you'll probably see Congress have a big sweep that moves towards the Republican Party. Now, it's not necessarily because people like Republicans. It's just because they don't like what they're seeing right now in the economy, and they're going to blame whoever's in power. And so you see this large sweep, sweep to the right around the world that, all, that, that first is sort of the reaction, but then this, the government settled down and they become rather middle. But I think that you're going to see emerging markets start to really suffer. And when emerging markets start to really suffer, you start to see a lot of um, uncertainty in the streets. But you know, all of this devaluation that's happening in emerging markets and elsewhere is good for something like Bitcoin. If you look at Bitcoin in sterling terms, you look at Bitcoin in Argentine peso terms and Turkish lira terms, and a lot of currencies outside of the United States, as you as you were talking about glo- you know, globalization, well, for every country around the world, Bitcoin right now is a savior. Just for the, against the dollar, right? It doesn't look like it is today, but it's certainly saving a lot of people. And I'm sure there's a lot of adoption that's happening all around the world into Bitcoin and probably Ethereum. We're just not noticing it in the US because we value it against the dollar. Now, Sailor says one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. My view is that, that that's what you say when it's collapsing against the dollar. But the net <laughs> is against other currencies, Bitcoin's strengthening tremendously right now. And, uh, but there's going to be uncertainty in the world. 
you know, just, just the fact that Russia is doing their, their, their third ever mobilization ever. They've done two before this, World War I, World War II, and now this. And so, you know, things are moving to a point whereby there's going to be something and you've got to be prepared for it. Yes. Yeah, so let's say, let's say there was a Bretton Woods. That's Wood a great deal. answer. Let's, let's, let's say we get, we get a Bretton let, Let's say that the government, that everyone decides this strength of the dollar is horrible. Let's revalue the dollar. But a revaluation scenario, then the dollar becomes a lot weaker very, very quickly. Now, in that situation, Bitcoin's going to jump through the moon. And so, you know, when it gets to this pain point where every currency, around, everyone around the world starts worrying, you already saw the BOJ intervene in dollar yen last week. Right. Now the UK uh, central bank's talking, they might do a little bit of intervention, though it's kind of wasted right now when the dollar strength is, is as, as it is. And economies around the world can't afford to raise interest rates, right? Because they know they're staring at a recession that's right in front of their nose. And it's only through raising interest rates they can strengthen their currencies. So it's going to take international multilateral intervention. When that happens, you, you're going to see Bitcoin pop. So, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting right now. What BOJ did was unilateral, which means they did it on their own. When you see currencies, uh, central banks all around the world on the behalf of their treasuries start to come in and sell the, uh, sell the dollar and buy their currencies, that's when you know you, that tipping point's happening, that the air is going to come out of the bag in the dollar, and you're going to see significant strength, I think, in crypto markets. Douglas, we got to have you back on the show a lot more often because these are insights that are are so clearly expressed and, and they're right on the nose. And this is stuff that that you know we're thinking about day in and day out. We're tracking probably uh, you know a, a lot of the same metrics. And you know, for me, it's just uh, you know it, it is kind of a inflection point that we could be at right now, where you said you know the the British pound being at parity, meaning one for one, right? Like, you know, in my lifetime, that's never happened. In most people's lifetime, it's always been that the pound was, you know, more expensive than the dollar. And, you know, now that it is at the low, there really could be a catalyst um, that that kind of strengthens a lot of these emerging market um, currencies at the, uh, at the demise of the dollar. Not saying that the dollar would ever go down to zero or anything, but that revaluation is something that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about. And, what it looks like is way above my pay grade and how they do it is, is insane, but uh, it'll be a coordination of the central banks. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that we, we really should be looking out for um, and keeping our, our Bloomberg terminals open to see uh, how well, those cross the headlines. You know, you know, you're not going to see it from what people say. You're going to see it from what people aren't saying. Um, the last time the BOJ intervened, I was on CNBC and I said, look, they're going to intervene in the next hour or so. And what I'd done is I'd set up a, a software platform that, that listened to every finance minister and economy minister around the world, translated into English and kind of like, it was called Yahoo Pipes was the software. And it's not around anymore. Um, and so you take RSSs and, and what they weren't saying was what essentially they do. And I think that as you see a silence come around all of these folks, that means that they're preparing because they got to keep their mouths shut. Um, but mm -hmm. it certainly feels like we're, we're weeks away from something large happening. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that's going to be pretty exciting. It, you know, I don't know if it's going to be negative or positive, but people have to remember, it's not the weakness of the Turkish lira right now, or the weakness of the Argentine peso, or the weakness of the pound. They're not weak. It's the dollar that's ridiculously strong because we're, we're raising rates as we're looking head on into a recession. And I know in the U.S., policymakers have now decided a different definition for recession, but I think all of us know that it's two negative quarters. And we're probably looking at a third now. And it doesn't matter how many how many X, you know, you have GDP X this or CPI X this. You know, we keep taking out all the numbers that are going up. But the net of it is you can smell the pain, you can see the pain, and you feel the pain. And, and maybe you're not seeing it on the television anymore. That's probably because they don't show it. Um, you know, it's best not to show things that are negative and you know, if it doesn't work with your 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 narrative. Um, but certainly I'm smelling it and uh, it feels like we're a couple of weeks away from something. It should be interesting to see what the catalyst will be to rebound the economy then. Typically throughout history and in, in your view, what has been some of these things? Is it just simply a switch in government party that's, that's all that's necessary no. or what really else needs to happen? A shift in the governmental party is the, the populace's response to when they're not happy with how things are going. And that's when you switch all the way to the left, all the way to the right, all the way to the right, all the way to the left. And you see this. In but that's just a Band-Aid, isn't it? It is a Band-Aid, yes. 
The real shift happens when you have all the central bankers sit down together and say, look, this is completely messed up. We need a rebalance of the total economy. And whether that's like when, when you had the gold standard and we came off the gold standard, then you had Bretton Woods. These are big events that happen that uh, end up having rever- you know, uh, Reverberation. reverberating for quite some time. Yes. And that's what I smell right now. I smell a whole global rebalance. Now, you've also got sort of like small rebalancing happening around the edges. You get the BRIC countries, you get China and Russia now discussing with each other about, you know what, we won't use dollars anymore for settlement of trade. We're going to use the renminbi or the yuan. Um, and so there's folks that are kind of moving away from the dollar system and the petrodollar, which was always going to be the, 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 uh, the, the strength. Traditionally in history, the currency that's used is the one with the, that is your largest trading partner. The guy that's the biggest trading partner in the world dictates the currency. So obviously it was UK, rule Britannia, rule the waves. In the 18th century, everything was done in sterling. And then the US took over and US was the biggest trading partner. They had the largest Navy and everyone says, okay, well, let's all do it now in dollars. I heard 85% of world trade is done in dollars. That's probably true. I don't have the number in front of me. But China now is the number one or number two trading partner with every country in the world. And while the U.S. will say, we're not dealing with this country because we don't believe, we don't like how they treat this, this type of person or that type of person, China comes walking in and says, okay, we'll be your biggest trading partner. And then China also says things like, look, we'll lend you country, we'll lend you a whole bunch of money, here's $50 billion, and it's going to be backed by your lithium mine and your copper mines and this and that. And of course, that country ends up you know, defaulting, and China ends up owning all of these resources. So there's been a new sort of power in trade that's been happening over the last, I'd say, 20, 30 years, while the U.S. is going to move towards that woke mentality when it comes to trade as opposed to capitalist mentality. The woke mentality is we're not going to deal with this country or that country because we don't like what they're doing in politics. And China sort of walks in and says, "Okay, well, thanks for the opportunity. Um, And so, you know, I think that the petrodollar will lose its luster somewhat, but still, it's it's it is the medium of exchange for um, for 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 trade. Yeah. Wow. Man, there's there's so much to unpack here. But before we let you go, I do want to address uh, kind of our our listeners. A lot of them are small business owners. A lot of them uh, might say, "Hey, you know, I want to raise money, and I might even want to raise it through the INX platform." Is that something that people at home they could go and they could start to to work through or at least work up towards that as a goal? Or do they need to bring their own investors uh, or are there already investors on the platform? Um, just speak to a, a small business owner who might be in that situation. You know, well, it doesn't have to be small business owners. We've got public companies that are going to be raising capital with us. We've got, I think, the largest raise we're looking at right now is around $1 billion. The smallest raise probably around $6 million. So, you know, a company comes to say, look, I've got an idea. We put them in touch with a lawyer that helps them draft a PPM, private placement memorandum, or a full prospectus if they want to go public. And and in general, you know, we'll talk over the tokenomics. What do they think that they have? A lot of times people just say, I want this money. They don't think about what am I giving someone that's going to invest in me. Um, Once they've figured that out and we've worked on the tokenomics with them, then we talk about, you know, the marketing. How are you going to drive people? Maybe you already have a huge mailing list. Maybe you already have all these followers on Twitter. Maybe you've got all these folks that use your products, but you don't, they don't realize that there's an opportunity here. How do we get in touch with these folks digitally so they can go out there and they can know that you exist, that you're raising capital and they can come to you? And we'll work with them on all of these different aspects. Then we'll open up the door and we'll bring them on. Certainly, we've got a lot of investors on our platform. Guys that trade crypto can now see this. Uh, guys that are trading securities can now see this. And also guys that are just browse through the investment uh, opportunities. So we have it. But these guys came in for something else. They came in to trade crypto or they trade in to come in to buy the INEX token or to buy TruckPal that we're raising capital for right now, the first ever Chinese security token. And so in general, the issuer has to think, who's my audience? Who do I want to attract? How do I get in touch with them? How do I bring them with me onto the INEX platform? Epic. Totally epic. Douglas, is there anything that I I didn't ask that, that should have been asked or any kind of a part that you wanted to highlight? Well, you didn't ask us how to find INX, and that's INX.co. <laughs> so INX.co, you go there, you can learn about us, learn about our company. You know, we're a public company that trades in on the NEO exchange in Canada uh, under INXD. Uh, we trade on the uh, OTC in the US under INXDF. And then we also have our digital security, obviously, and that trades on the INX platform under INX. 
you know, we're always excited when new folks discover us and learn about us and hear about us. Uh, I believe that we're, we're, we're building that digital pathway. I think the Wall Street Journal agree, uh, agrees with that as well, based on the article from last week. Um, and so, uh, you know, we take regulation first, but we also think our opportunities are very important. And there's a way to marry both, uh, marry digital opportunities, crypto, blockchain, and the SEC. Uh, they don't have to be uh, you know, working against each other. That's great insight. Uh, it's hard to believe that someone like Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch let a guy like you get away. Um, <laughs> it's just amazing. What is the number one thing you learned from working at those traditional institutions that you took with you? Don't screw with the regulator. The regulator is it's sort of the headmaster. And once you get in the headmaster's bad book, you never get out of it. And I think it's really important that people understand that. And, you know, I think a lot of software companies, they start up a crypto trading business and they've never thought about regulation because it's just not important. Um, and they'll find out that in the end, it ends up biting them in a way that they never expected. Uh, I think that that financial market regulators are very scary. And it's almost like the FBI, they always get their man. I think that the SEC is very similar and that they could essentially have an unlimited budget and you're going to spend a lot of money defending yourselves against them. And sometimes the best way is just to find a way to work with them as opposed to against them. Cause I think it's sort of like, I'd rather swim with the tide, with the tide, sorry, than without. Now for the last, I'd say two years we've been in existence, we've been swimming against the tide. Cause everyone said, I don't care about regulations. I don't care about regulators. Uh, there's no rules in place. And we've been kind of sticking our hand up saying there are rules in place and you should care. Now, for guys that are in the space already, it's easier for them to say there are no rules. They have to say that because there's tremendous lawsuits against them right now for listing unreg unregulated or unregistered securities, and they don't, they're not securities exchanges. So they have to have this wording, you know, there's no rules. If they said there are rules, then they've just admitted that they've, they've, they've bent them. Um, but the biggest thing I've learned is that when you've got regulators, you should follow the rules and find out a way to work with them. I like it. That's a, that's a really, really good note. Um, and the last question I have for you, uh, similar, similar in the same vein, um, but like as a trader, um, for a lot of people listening, um, you know, maybe they like to trade stocks or crypto or Forex or whatever. What's, what's one word of wisdom, one word of advice that might be able to help someone uh, kind of on their way? Of course, it's not financial advice, just kind of an educational note to end things on. No, it's not financial advice, look, but... You have to have a vision of where you think a market's going to go, and then you have to have patience. And you know, people talk about dollar cost advertising, uh, dollar cost averaging, and I think that that's probably important for something like crypto. That's a very new concept. You know, I look at crypto or Bitcoin, let's say, or Ethereum, and I kind of, I, I know that it's early days on a new technology, and so it's sort of when everyone's crying and the streets are filled with blood, that's a time to start. You know, thinking maybe I should be more involved. And when everyone's excited about it and 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 you know going you know talking about it excitedly, that's the time to lighten up. And I think that that's the opportunity for this today. I think that long term, you know, things are going to move higher, Bitcoin especially. But I think that you have to play with people's emotions because there aren't that many holders, uh, you know, in the world. So and, it, and there aren't and, it, and it's driven mostly by uh, liquidity that at times is leveraged. And so you get this fear factor that pops the price certainly to levels that sometimes people don't expect, but it seems like there's good institutional buying. And if you get a long-term view, then you know take it in. But again, don't risk more than you can lose. It's a new technology. You know, when the cell phone came out, it took 10 years for people to really start taking it seriously. First, it was a block. I'm never carrying that around. I look like a, <laughs> like a doofus. And then people started saying, you know, uh, I don't want people calling me in my spare time and I'm not at work or I'm not home. That's my time. Don't call me on the train. And uh, then right before people started really getting into it, people were saying, you know, you can get brain cancer when you put it to your ear. Now I think there's 2.3 mobile device devices per American. Um, and that, you know, first you get all of the FUD and then you get the excitement. When the Model T came out first, uh, the rule was that, that the horse companies had, uh, had put through was that a horse had to walk, a horse and, and I think two people had to be in front and behind it because it was a very dangerous vehicle and it couldn't go over a certain miles per hour. Now, that's kind of how I feel right now about how crypto is treated by, let's say, a JP Morgan of the world, where they want to slow it down. Why? Well, probably so they can figure out how to make money on it. 
Um, because when you deal with spot for your individual, your wealth customers, you can't really make that much money. But if you can think of nice derivative products to package, much better spread. So this is about biding time, talking FUD, while institutions get much more heavily involved because they'd rather buy it at 20,000 or 15,000 than at 70,000. And I think that that's just the natural way of new technology. I'm sure that the horse companies, the horse feed seller, was slowing down the Model T so they could turn their horse feed places into tire replacement places. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's the nature of business. The entrenched players will try to slow down the new entrant so they can catch up, figure it out, and make money off of it too. Man, Douglas, those are those are some great parallels. Um, and things that I didn't even think about. And so I appreciate you kind of bringing those to the forefront and for spending so much time with us. You know, we've been recording here for about 50 minutes and uh, we really appreciate your time. You got a whole lot to, to work on to build the future of finance. So we'll let you go. But Douglas, uh, you could, you'll be hearing from us. We would love to have you back, um, particularly as the, the macro environment unfolds. And, you know, you say you, you kind of smell the blood in the water over the course of the next few weeks. Let's Let's check back in. Really appreciate right. your time. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, Aaron, enjoy uh, enjoy Colombia. I certainly will. Everything you're saying about uh, these other currencies around the world, having Bitcoin as a saver is especially true over here. I'm seeing Bitcoin accepted and exchanged everywhere in town. Wow. Epic. Thank you All so right. much, Douglas. This Thank was you. one of the best podcasts we've ever had. I can't wait for the next one. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks, Aaron. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.